Hey guys! Wow, um, you may all be seated. <laughs> this is so exciting. I was not expecting that, you know, like go on, go on, gas me up. But um, it's really exciting to be here. Um, dude, you all should go to this virtual weekend. Like, come on. I've always wanted to go to the Middle East. And um, this is a good way to ease it in for my mom. Hear that? I don't know if she's watching or not. But I want to go to Iraq. Oh, she's on there. Hi, Mom. How you doing? All right. Um, but yeah, hi, guys. Um, if you don't know, hey, if you don't, I don't know where that came from, but masks are tough. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Rachel Cologne. Uh, I am on staff here with JMU Chi Alpha. Um, once again, a little bit more about me. I graduated from tech in 2019, um, and I was a part of Chi Alpha there. I absolutely loved it. Um, I did the internship this past year, and then the Lord called me here, which is super exciting, and I'm so blessed to be here. I absolutely love Harrisonburg, and it's an honor to work with Katie and Josh. I almost didn't say Josh, sorry, Josh. I'm just kidding. You're great. Um, and the rest of the team, but it's super, super fun. Um, if you know anything about me, you know that I love relationships. I love love. I love talking about it. If you've ever had a one-on-one -on -one with me, I'm like, so, are there any boys? And that's just a relief. I mean, like, who doesn't like talking about boys? I mean, boys probably don't talk about boys. Tough. But, you know, you talk about girls. So, um, I was super pumped at the beginning of the semester when we got um, our, um, I don't know, assignments um, for speaking and I saw I was like wow I'm first Corinthians 13 I got the love chapter and I was like that's exciting stuff so tonight we are going to talk about reframing love love reframed um if you've been with us the past few weeks you you know that we are in a series called reframed hence the really big black letters and the glasses up there um and so we are picking up in um, 1 Corinthians 13, as I said earlier, um, in a little bit of context. And we've covered some of the context, but um, in the 1 Corinthian church, in the church of Corinth, Paul, um, he's writing them a letter. And um, tonight we're dissecting those words. Um, he's trying to, to lead them in what righteousness looks like. And rightness looks like um, through pointing them to the gospel. Um, the church of Corinth was experiencing some division. Um, sounds a little bit similar to kind of what the church looks like today, give or take. Um, and so coming out of chapter 12, um, Paul is talking about these gifts and um, different roles within the body of Christ, and he's telling them that we need unity. Um, we desire unity in the church, and then he goes into, once again, one of the most known passages in scripture, 1 Corinthians 13. Um, and so, once again, like I said, it's one of the most famous passages. You have all probably heard it already um, at a wedding, in a TV show. You see, like, can you see it? Like the bride's like weeping as the pastor's saying like, oh, love is patient, love is kind. And it's like, oh, this is so emotional and beautiful. Um, and we're, we're going to explore what love really means. That yes, love is beautiful. But um, you could probably talk to any of the married couples in the room, a.k.a. There's now three, including Wes in the back. You could talk to him, but his wife's not here. Sorry, Morgan. But, um, but yeah, if you talk to Hunter or Julia or Josh or Katie or Wes, Love is not easy, but it's worth it. 
Um, so once again, when we're looking at the culture of love in our world, um, it looks different from what the, what the body of Christ would say, what Jesus would say. Um, in our culture, we say, oh, we love pizza. And then we turn to our significant other and we're like, wow, I love you. And it's like, is that the same? It's like, I hope not. Um, I hope you would love me more than pizza. But I mean, pizza is really good. Um, also, um, I've seen love framed as an emotion or a hormone. Um, my sophomore year of college, I remember having a conversation with another girl in my class. And she was like, love isn't real. It's just like chemicals in your brain. And I was like, whoa, that's like pretty intense. I mean, like there are feelings like, okay, butterflies, all that stuff. But is that really what love is? And I want to challenge you guys and say, no, I would say that's attraction, but I don't, I wouldn't say that's love. Um, and then also we're told in our culture, like follow your heart, do what makes you happy, like love yourself. Um, and it's like, okay, we, we, we should love ourselves the way God created us to, but scripture also says like the heart is just, is deceitful and wicked. It's like, maybe we shouldn't follow it. Um, so once again, we're going to look at what love really means. Um, and so when reading through the passage of first Corinthians 13, um, it uses the word agape love. And this word is in the Greek and I found a little definition. Oh, wow. Thanks, Valerie. You're the best. Um, so I'm just going to read that. Okay. So the love we're talking about tonight is it is a love that loves without changing. It is a self-giving love and gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It is love so great that it can be given to the unlovable or the unappealing. It is love that loves even when it's rejected. Um, and so tonight we're gonna learn that love is more of an action than an emotion. Um, and so I'm gonna pray and then we're just gonna dive in because this is gonna be fun. Um, and I've got you guys until 9.30, so buckle up. All right. <laughs> All right, dear Jesus, we thank you so much that we get to gather together and study your word. Holy Spirit, God, I pray that you would come and invade this room. Lord, I pray that you would, you would help me, God. Lord, I can't do this without you. Um, Lord, I pray that um, you would speak, that you would move, that you would transform hearts, that you would transform minds, and that we would really learn what love looks like, God. Not through our eyes, but we, we would really see love for what you say it is. That we would see love the way you've defined it. And not the way our cultures defined it, not the way our families defined it, but truly the way you've defined it. Man, God, we need you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, here we go. If you would turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. If you don't know what it is, a lot of you are already there. Wow, bless you. Um, but yeah, if you split your Bible in half and then split it again in half on the other side, you will find it, or you can just Google it. Um, but it looks like y'all are already there, so we're just going to go for it. Okay. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, 
but do not have love, I gain nothing. So we see this, um, that it's love or nothing. It's a pretty stark contrast. Um, over and over, we're reading, once again, if, um, if I do not have love, I am nothing. Whoa. And then we see, if I do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul is telling the first Corinthian church that um, they could be operating in all sorts of gifts, that they could be um, sharing with brothers and sisters and really doing things for the kingdom of God, good things. But if they don't have love, it results to absolutely nothing. Isn't that kind of terrifying? Like when we look at our day-to-day life, and then it's like, okay, am I doing these things for love? Am I doing these things on the foundation of love? If yes, praise God. If no, what are, what are we doing? What am I doing? Um, what does that look like? Um, so we see in, the, in the, court, the church of Corinth that the supernatural was happening. God was moving. He was speaking. Um, but people were not partnering with his love. They were doing things more for show. They were doing things um, for themselves. And it was quenching the effectiveness of the gifts of the Spirit. Um, and once again, Paul says these heavy words, I am nothing. I gain nothing. Actions without love negate the results. Gifts or actions without love communicate nothing worthwhile. You can have it all. You can be brilliant. Um, where are you, Paul? You could be brilliant in chem- chemistry. Chemistry! Something. Oh, Lord in heaven. I, for- I think I was right. But you can be like doing all these things, but if you lack nut, if you lack love, then it, 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 it falters. It's done. It, it dies. There's no, there's no growth. There's no life in it. Um, when I was um, with my family uh, this summer at the beach, I was with my sister, and my sister has a little girl. Her name's Amy, and she's about, she's like two and a half. So when I was at the beach, she was about two years old, and I wanted to build a sandcastle. So I'm building, and I'm like, I majored in industrial design, so that's kind of architecturally, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like trying to envision what I want the structure to look like. So I'm like pounding the sand into these um, containers and into these buckets, and I pop them down and then start packing again. And then I see out of the corner of my eye, my niece becomes a Godzilla and just starts crashing and like killing my beautiful sandcastle. And I kept trying and kept on trying to like distract her like, oh, look at your dad, like picking up seashells. But she was more entertained with my sandcastle. So I just gave up. Um, As we were leaving the beach, I saw along the the line, along the beach and along the shore, all these sandcastles. And I was like, wow, what could have been like here, my major, like what I love, I could have like, this could have been me. I could have had this beautiful sandcastle, but it was gone. Um, because of my niece. But then later, um, the next morning, I came out and all the the sandcastles were washed away, completely gone. All that work that everybody um, put into it, it it was gone. Hours upon hours of with the sun beating on them, sand in kind of like uncomfortable places, and it's gone. Um, And I want to um, pose to you that it's the same way with love. We can be building our own kingdom. We can be building our own our own um, civilizations on of success, of doing well in school, and um, building like the perfect family. But if it lacks the foundation of love that's partnered with Jesus Christ, 
It means nothing. It's washed away with the sands of time. It's going to be forgotten. I'm sorry to tell you guys, but when things aren't um, within the basis of Jesus Christ, they're washed away. It's completely demolished. When we perform or do anything without love, we are building little sandcastles of our own success that will be swept away. Um, But when we partner with Jesus from an attitude of love and other-centeredness, we are building the kingdom of God, which has such an eternal, eternal reward. Many times we forego the eternal reward for immediate gratification. And I want to once again ask you, what would you prefer to do? Build a sandcastle that's gonna, that you'll see in your lifetime but will be swept away pretty easily? Or do you want to be a part of the building of the kingdom of God through love? So we see here in this for, first pack, ooh, excuse me. So we see in this first portion of scripture that actions without love is meaningless. But now we're going to explore um, what love without actions looks like. Paul says, faith without works is dead. And in a similar way, love without actions is dead. Love takes action. So we're going to keep on reading, um, picking up in verse 4. And it says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres, um, and always preserves. Either way works. Lol. And then, um, because I know that we are in a Twittery generation, whatever that means, Twittery. That's I made up that word. Check. Um, I found another one, which is really fun. So I'm just going to read it out. It says, love is chill. Love is dank. It does not thirst. It does not flex. It is not extra. It does not cancel others. It is not sus. It is not salty. It keeps no receipts. Love does not spill tea. Did you guys hear that? That's such a word. Okay. It does not spill tea, but it rejoices with the woke. It stands, is always fam, is always goat, always lays. Whoa. My heart just fluttered a little bit. That was really fun to read. Um, But either translation, you see it. Oh, well. I highly recommend going back to the first translation. I wouldn't study this one. But (laughs) who could say? Um, But either way, we once again read, love is not an emotion. Love is a choice. It's an active decision. Um, So first off, we read, love is patient. Um, It doesn't rush. See how I paused there? Get it? Like, because y'all are having some patience. Thanks. Um, It is not forceful. Uh, It's not manipulative to get its way. It waits for the right time. A couple weeks ago, Katie preached on sex, which was a pretty fire message, I might add. Um, And something that she, she preaches about or she preached about was um, that love waits for the right time. Love, it, uh, or excuse me, sex waits for the right time. Um, it, it's meant for the context of marriage. She um, alludes to a fire pit, and it's healthy and good and powerful within the fire pit, but outside of it, 
um, it's a little dangerous. And I want to and I want to once again challenge you and bring that up of if love is patient and it waits for the right time, love waits for marriage. Um, we, we see in culture that, or we have this catchphrase that um, girls give, uh, give sex to get love and vice versa, guys give love to get sex. But why, why is there a trade-off? If, there, if love is supposed to, to go forth without expecting anything in return and it cares about the other person, then why is it this stripping away? Why is it called, oh, I took her virginity or I lost her virginity when it's something to be given if love is patient? Um, and then also a little bit less sexual, going through traffic. If you're going through traffic and you're trying to be patient, like love looks like not slamming on your horn. Love looks like, um, it's like saying hi or someone cuts you off. It's like, oh, I hope you have a blessed day. That is so different. Can you imagine doing that? I, I had a conversation with somebody the other day and they're like, I just give them a really sarcastic like thumbs up. And I'm like, that's not very nice. Um, but I want to challenge that. Of like next time you're cut off, maybe be like, Lord bless them. Oh, that felt good. You know what I'm saying? Of like, what does love look like? It's patient. The second one is love is kind. Um, the Greek translation of, of kind is it's full of service to others. Um, kindness looks like um, if your friend's shoe is untied, maybe you get down on one knee. knee. Guys, I wouldn't do this to girls. It might, I don't know, it could be confusing. But um, <laughs> like tie your friend's shoe. Um, love looks like uh, making your, your roommate dinner. It's kindness, it's intentional, it's service towards others. Um, next one, um, it does not envy. This one's, this one's tough. Um, I believe that envy is a fruit of insecurity. Um, and, I believe, and I believe that envy is believing a lie that there's not enough. Um, the love we're talking about is a love that loves without expecting anything in return. It's secure. So why am I envying if, if, I, if I'm not expecting anything in return? Why am I envying when I'm not um, nervous about not having enough? Envy partners with comparison. Dude, in our culture, comparison sucks. Um, the problem with comparison is there's always a loser. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but I like to win um, and I'm super competitive. So losing's just tough. So why play a game where there's a chance of me losing if there's not like, I don't know, a trophy involved? It's just sad. Um, and also, either way, you're belittling somebody else for the belief that you're better, or vice versa. That's just nasty. Um, in Philippians 2, we read, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. When we believe the truth that there's enough, we won't compare and we will be other-centered. When we're transformed by the love of God and believe that he is good, there's no longer an insecurity of lack. Um, so what does this look like? 
It looks like um, instead of being envious, taking joy in somebody else, in somebody else's victory, in somebody else's win. Um, at our, um, what, what are they called? Leaders meetings? That's the one. We, we take a time to celebrate wins. Like, let's go. Let's like gas each other up. Let's encourage each other. Um, if somebody gets a better score than you, it doesn't look like, ah, oh, they probably cheated. It looks like, oh man, like way to go girl. Or like, nice job, bro. I don't know what y'all do. I'm a girl, <laughs> so tough. Um, but yeah, this love takes action. Um, the next one is, uh, it does not boast and it is not proud. It does not flex. It is not extra. LOL, that's just fun to say. Um, it's humble. Love sees itself rightly. In the book Humility by Andrew Murray, it says that humility is the sense of entire nothingness which comes when we see how truly God is all and in which we make way for God to be all. Humility isn't self-deprecating. Um, it's not belittling ourselves, and it's not thinking of ourselves as better than someone else. It's actually seeing ourselves rightly, not in self-confidence, but in God-confidence, because we know who we've been created by. We know that we have a purpose, and we know we have a place. That's huge, having purpose in place. Like, when we have that, we can take over the world because it's like, you do you, boo, and I'm going to do me, but I got purpose. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you do. I don't have to prove myself because I've already been proven by the one who loves me. Well, thank you, Chris. Yes, ma'am. Yes, indeed. All right. Um, kingdom culture brings a love that color covers each other's weaknesses and exposes each other's strengths. I'm going to read that again because that's good. And make sure your pens are out. <laughs> kingdom culture brings a love that covers each other's weaknesses and exposes each other's strengths. It looks like if some, if your friend drops the ball, you pick it up. You don't expose them being like, oh, did you hear a ball? You know what I'm saying? That's just, once again, nasty. Basically, I'm trying to tell you that um, life without love, actions without love, it's just nasty. Um, it looks like practically you're playing basketball. Tommy helped me out with this. I, he's outside, I think. But it looks like in basketball, if somebody like blocks your dunk, and instead of getting like mad, you're like, dude, nice block. And they're like, yeah, man, I don't know. <laughs> I think that's the way it goes, who <laughs> could say. Not me, because I don't play basketball. All right. Um, okay, next. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. So basically, it doesn't cancel others, and it's not sus. I have to Google sus. It's okay. Suspect, I think. That's the definition. All right. <laughs> so we live in a cancel culture. You hear that? Like, it's so true. I know, Marina back there, she's laughing at me because I was like, what does sus mean? All right. <laughs> Whew. Here we go. All right. So we live in a cancel culture. Um, if we don't like what someone says, we burn the bridge. We're quick to take out the dynamite, and it's like, ah, tough. Bye. It's like, we're just so, like, fire happy. We just want to burn relationships, especially in this time. I don't know about you guys, but I cannot go on social media right now. It's just nasty, you know what I'm saying? Um, and basically, I, I, keep on, keep, I keep on seeing, if you didn't vote for Trump or if you voted for Trump or if you didn't vote for Biden um, or if you did vote for Biden, then, like, unfollow me. You disagree with me, we can't be friends. Unfollow. Um, we... 
we idolize this false idea of tolerance where it's like, oh, I'll tolerate you if you agree with me. I don't know about you guys, but that is not the definition of tolerance. Tolerance is, is okay, we don't have to agree, but I can tolerate you. Like, we can be in the same room and we can be friends. We can have different opinions and it'll be okay. Maybe we shouldn't talk about it because we get heated and we don't love each other well. But, but what it looks like is honoring one another. When we are in kingdom culture, we honor one another despite different opinions. Um, man, that's tough. All right. Our world and our, our culture exposes people and things for the sake of shaming and exposing them um, in, in a nasty way, in a really nasty way. But kingdom culture, it exposes for the purpose of bringing freedom and betterment. And that's the, that's the culture I want to be a part of. Instead of being exposed um, to, to be a victim, instead of being exposed to, um, to be like thrown under the bus, um, once again, Katie preached a message. Wow, Katie's preaching all the messages. On care fronting, and it talks about exposing for the sake of bringing freedom, exposing for the sake of, of drawing out life. It's exposing for the sake of encouragement and calling to a higher standard because I love you. Um, and what does this look like practically? It looks like when you go home for Thanksgiving, it looks, and when all the politics are coming out and like um, all the claws are out, it looks, like in, it looks like creating a culture of honor. It looks like cooling off the situation and being a peacemaker. Um, we see in scripture that God is love. And so I want to propose to you that any situation that lacks love lacks the very presence and essence of God. Thank you, Chris. Why would I want to walk into an environment that lacks the love and the very presence and the very fragrance of God? And so as, um, as kingdom um, ambassadors, as, as fragrance wearers of the, of the presence of God, we need to be the ones this Thanksgiving that bring in a culture of honor, that bring in a culture of celebration. Even when emotions are high, this love takes action, and it looks like being intentional with, with pursuing honor. Um, next, we see that love is not easily anger, uh, is not easily angered. Um, it doesn't react, and it, it assumes the best. It's not hot-headed. Um, when you've been gone all day and the dishes are piled high, instead of using that opportunity to get angry at your, at your roommate, it looks like taking a deep breath and being like, wow, I know that they had three exams this week. I'm going to do their dishes. Um, it looks like um, sweeping the floor. Thank you, Gabby. When there's all of my like Ritz cracker crumbs all over the floor, that is love. She doesn't get angry at me. She just is very loving towards me. Wow. Such a blessing. Um, this also, not being easily angered, also makes me think of one Valentine's Day. It was my very first Valentine's Day where I had a date. Woo! Exciting stuff. It was my sophomore year. Um, and it was a guy from Tech in Blacksburg. And we drove to Roanoke to have dinner. And, I, um, and it was a good time. And then we drove back for me to realize that I forgot my purse at the restaurant. And it was a 45-minute drive. So we had been, we drove 45 minutes there, and we drove 45 minutes back. And I was like, I forgot my purse. It has all my credit cards, my debit card. It has my Hokey P, which is my 
Um, help me, Lord. What's it called? Jack card. Bless you. Um, and then I was like, I'm so sorry. And I was expecting him to like be really mad. And I was like, I'm not going to get another date. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was like, there's no way this guy will put up with that. But he's like, I love spending time with you. Like he took, I know, so cute. Ooh. All right. <laughs> Whoa. I'm glad you guys can't see me because I'm blushing. Um, but that's what love looks like. It looks like when you actually genuinely have an opportunity to be frustrated like we were on the road for like three hours um because i forgot my freaking purse lord forgive me but he was just like no like i love spending time with you so let's go get your purse and we did um and it was great um all right oh and then finally um love does not keep a record of wrongs um, this is a big one. It keeps no receipts. I keep all my receipts and like my purse is like full. If I were to go through and remember all my receipts, tough in the words of Josh Moran. Um, a few weeks ago, Julia talked and preached about forgiveness and she talked about how forgiveness looks like um, it's not exactly for the other person, but it's for yourself. Um, a lot of times when we hold on to things um, against other people, it's because we feel like justice isn't going to be served. And so we take the sin of the other person, what they did against us, and we put it on our backs and we're like, I I'm just going to hold this here because if nobody else knows, then their justice isn't going to be paid. But you're, you're bearing the weight of sin that Christ, that Christ bore at the cross. And so forgiveness looks like taking that sin of the other person and laying it at the foot of the cross. There's a story of a, of a Dutch woman um, named Corrie Tim Boom. And I don't know if you've heard about her or not, but she, um, she was alive during the World War II and um, her home, her family hid Jews. Um, they, called, they had a secret room in their home called the Angel Room. And several times the, the secret police would come in and they would search and search and they wouldn't find them, but they knew that they were holding Jews. One day her dad um, was called into the secret police's like headquarters and they're like, we like you, we know you're a good guy, but you need to promise, promise us that you're not going to house any more Jews or else you're going to go to a concentration camp. And he looks them dead in the face and he's like, I will harbor more Jews. Um, because of that decision, his whole family was sent off to a concentration camp, including Corey and her other sister. Um, the father, Corey's sister, um, the father and Corey's sister both died, and she was the only one to make it out alive. Um, she spent the rest of her life um, preaching a sermon and preaching a lifestyle of forgiveness against um, or for Jews to forgive um, their Nazi oppressors. Um, there was one sermon where she looks out into the crowd and she sees one man like a head taller than everyone else and she recognizes him as one of the Nazi guards that was at her concentration camp that was Ravenhill. And she begins to get really nervous and has these flashbacks and P like PTSD um, really intense and she pushes through and finishes the sermon um, but the whole time she's very aware of him. She comes down to the other to the side and people are coming up to her and saying like great message great message and and she sees him like kind of waiting and then he approaches her 
And he doesn't say, this is what I've done. He doesn't say, um, he doesn't ask for forgiveness, um, lacks a little bit of emotion. And he just reaches out his hand and he says, good sermon. And in this moment, she, she prays. She's like, Lord, help me live out this message. She did not want to extend her hand. Here's this man that tormented her for several years. Um, at this concentration camp that was at the concentration camp that her, her sister died at. And she asked the Lord, help me live out this message of forgiveness. Um, before she felt it, she extends her hand to shake his. And in that action, she feels love and compassion and forgiveness wash over her like no other. Once again, love is an action. It's not an emotion. Sometimes in order for breakthrough, we need to extend a hand. We need to do the hard thing in order to feel that freedom and, and that release. It's a prophetic declaration to, to love even when it's hard. So in all of this, you might be thinking, whoa, this is a lot. And you're right. This is a lot. We just went through seven pages of my notes. Um, but... Um, we are equipped to do this, um, and we are equipped to do this through the revelation of the cross. When I was reading through this passage, I kept on thinking of Jesus. I was like, whoa, Jesus is all of these things. Like, you could easily replace love is patient, love is kind, but Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. And immediately, I just kept on thinking of all these scenarios of Jesus showing this radical beautiful love um there's the woman at the well there's jesus washing his disciples feet and on and on there's all these scenarios but then the holy spirit brought one to mind um and he demonstrates what it looks like to be patient what it looks like to be kind to not be arrogant um and so we're just going to play a clip and i'm just going to read um over it so um once when it comes up thanks valerie I believe it. The, the, do you feel the anticipation? I do. I'm getting nervous or nervous or that's not a word, but that's okay. So love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. This is love. Um, when doing research about the crucifixion process, and probably the greatest day where love was demonstrated, um, I found um, what crucifixions looked like, not just for Jesus, but what it looked like in, in the Roman Empire. So it says, crucifixions sometimes began with scourging or flogging on the victim's back. The Romans used a whip called the flagrum, which consisted of small pieces of bone and metal attached to a number of leather strands. During the scourging, the skin was ripped from the back, exposing a bloody mass of tissue and bone. Extreme blood loss occurred, often causing death or at least unconsciousness. 
In addition to the flogging, Jesus faced severe beating and torment by the Roman soldiers, including the plucking of his beard and the piercing of his scalp with a crown of thorns. After the flogging, the victim was forced to carry his own crossbar to the execution site. The crossbar could easily weigh 100 pounds. In the case of Jesus, the record shows that he may have carried his crossbar a distance of over two football fields. Once the victim arrived at the execution site, the crossbar was put on the ground and the victim was forced to lay upon it. Spikes about seven inches long and three eighths of an inch in diameter were driven into, into the wrists. The spikes would hit the area of the median curve, causing shocks of pain up the arms to the shoulders and neck. Already standing at the crucifixion site would be a seven foot tall post called the stipes. In the center of the stipes was a crude seat to support the victim. The crossbar was then lifted onto the stipes and the victim's body was awkwardly turned on the seat so that the feet could be nailed on the stipes. At this point, there was tremendous strain put on the wrists, shoulders, and arms, resulting in dislocation of the shoulders and elbow joints. The position of the nailed body held the victim's rib cage in a fixed position, which made it extremely difficult to exhale and impossible to take a full breath. Ultimately, the mechanism of death in a crucifixion was suffocation. To breathe, the victim was forced to push up on his feet to allow inflation of the lungs. As the body weakened and the pain in the feet began, um, the pain in the feet and legs became unbearable. The victim was forced to trade breathing for pain and exhaustion. Eventually, the victim would succumb, would succumb to the way uh, in this way, becoming utterly exhausted or lapsing into unconsciousness, so that he could no longer lift his body off the stipes and inflate his lungs. This is our Savior. This is our Lord. When we see the love that was demonstrated for us, doing the dishes, being cut off in traffic, what does, what does that even look like in comparison to what our Lord and Savior endured? This is love in action. This, lo this is love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is the love that we are, are called to. This love, this radical, radical, self-sacrificing love. When we see Jesus rightly, when we see the cross rightly, when we see his sacrifice rightly, we see ourselves rightly, and we are able to see our brothers and sisters rightly, and we are able to see our enemies rightly. We are called to love the unlovable. We are called to love our enemies. How radical. As Jesus was on the cross, 
he he didn't call out for his own he didn't call out for his own um, gain. He, it was a it was a amazing demonstration of love for the very people that that put him up there. With every with every hammer of the nail, it, it's it, it it's love that bears all things. It's love that believes all things. This is the love of Christ. This is the love that we are pursued with. Um, there's this quote um, that's written um, by Joshua Harris in the book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And, um, and he says this, the world takes us to a silver screen on which flickering images of passion and romance play as we watch. And the world says, this is God takes us to the foot of a cross, to the foot of a tree on which a naked and bloody man hangs. And he says, no, this is love. This is love. Even hours before Jesus endured the cross, he he was washing his disciples' feet, including Judas, his betrayer. And he says, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so must you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I challenge us, Chi Alpha. When somebody walks into this room, are they like, wow, they really know Jesus. And I can see that by the way that they love each other. When somebody walks into your core group, they're like, wow, this this feels different. It's kind of weird, but I like it because it's love. It's real love. It's transparent love. It's reframed love. If we had that, if we walked like that, Chi Alpha could be known as, as the campus ministry that's known for kindness. What if we were known for, for our love and, and our generosity? What if we were known for our patience? What if we looked different? What if we went against the current of the culture? Two chapters later, we see um, that same night, um, Jesus says again, just in case the disciples didn't get it, he says again, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Um, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus said this right before his death. He was very ready. He, He knew the cost. He knew the cost of radical love. And he calls his disciples to that love. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're one of his disciples and you're called to this radical love. Finally, um, towards the end of the passage, um, Paul brings it full circle saying this, um, love never ends. Everything else fades away, language, prophecy, knowledge. Only these three things remain, faith, hope, and love but the greatest of these is love and we ask ourselves why 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 is the greatest one love it's because when the perfect comes when Jesus returns and all of those that that call on the name of the Lord who are saved will be in heaven faith is the is a belief in things unseen when we're face to face with God our faith is fulfilled our hope is in, in, in the knowledge that Jesus Christ is returning and coming back. When he's returned, our, our hope is fulfilled because he's come back. 
But when we're in the throne room and we see Lord our God and, and we're, we're all a, a light and, and, and bright with his, his radical love, with his radical presence, this one thing will dwell on for eternity. This one thing, the kingdom of God, maintains this thing, and that's love. It's not a sandcastle that will be washed away. It's love. Everything we do, everything that we are, should be on the basis of love. And not, this, not, not the cheap counterfeit love, but the love of Jesus Christ. The love of a man who died 2,000 years ago. For you. For you. That's wild. Someone that you could call a stranger. Do you know how many people out there don't even know the love that was poured out for them? That they, they use the name of Jesus as a curse word. And you're like, you don't even know. Like, you don't even know what he's done. We're going to go into a time of response. And I believe that all of us um should respond um there may be some of you in this room who have not experienced love you've heard about jesus but tonight's the first night where you've actually recognized what jesus went through where you've actually recognized the cross where you actually see yourself rightly jesus went the distance so that you'd be loved and this is the gospel that he came, he lived a sinless life, he defeated sin, death, and the grave so that you may live a life of joy, peace, and wholeness through him. Um, we have learned tonight that love, love it chooses. And Jesus, he chose you. And so tonight I want to ask, is there anyone in this room that wants to choose, choose Jesus back? as a rededication or for the first time that you want to put Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life to put him on the throne okay and then for the rest of us, um, we may realize that um, we, we haven't been loving well. We haven't been loving in the way that, that Christ has asked us to. And you desire to know how. And you're asking yourself, like, how? Once again, how? How do I do this? Um, like, how do I love people in this radical way? And... And this is going to be a time of response where we, we ask Jesus for that supernatural love, for that super, supernatural realization of how to love one another. And there's a lot of people in our life that are hard to love. We're going to go back to, to broken families, broken friendships, and you're like, how do I love these people? Jesus loved them. Um, and so once again, we're going to take some time and... Um, and ask him for help. We're going to take some time um, to repent for missed opportunities where we could have loved others in a great way. 
Um, so we're going to play um, some music and then feel free um, to make your seat an altar um, but respond and respond. Um, but yeah, we're going to take some time and respond and I'm just going to pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for this radical, radical love. Lord, that you went the distance, that you went the distance, that you went the distance. And because of that, um, you've, you've, you've equipped us to go the distance, God, that it's in our weakness that we're strong. And so, Jesus, we're just asking. We're just asking for strength. We're just asking for the supernatural ability to love, to be patient, to be kind, to not envy, to not boast, um, to quit the gossip, to quit this cancel culture, God. And to align ourselves with the truth of the gospel, with the truth of Jesus Christ, with the truth that all that you are, with all that you are, God. And we want to be all that you've called us to be, that we want to love radically. We want to be a community that loves radically, that we want to be a community that loves radically, that we want to be a community that looks differently. So, Lord, we need you and we loved you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.